going on, Vinyl Community? You are listening to The Record Spinner here on Vinyl Community Podcasts, and welcome to another installment of a series that I am hosting exclusively here on the podcast called Current Rotations, where I discuss all of the records that I have been spinning as of lately on my turntable. And in this episode, we have quite a bit of variety um, of the seasonal kind, I should say. We have some Halloween albums, some bootlegs, and much, much more. It's about to go deep, so enough of the chit-chat. Let's jump into what this episode is all about. First up, I'm going to be discussing some Halloween-themed albums. And given that I am recording this episode towards the tail end of October, this is really the only time of year when I can really enjoy these albums in all of their spooky glory. And coincidentally, these are both soundtracks to films. And the first one I'm going to be discussing is the soundtrack to the film Trick or Treat, performed by the band Fastway. Now, Trick or Treat was a film that came out back in 1986, And it's about a teenage boy who is obsessed with a rock star named Sammy Kerr who died in a hotel fire and he obtains a copy of his unreleased album, starts playing it backwards, hears some funky messages, and then Sammy Kerr comes back from the grave and a whole bunch of crazy shit goes down. But to drive it even further, uh, especially into Kiss lore, um, the DJ in which the teenage boy had obtained uh, a copy of the unreleased album was portrayed by the one and only demon, Mr. Gene Simmons, in one of his several big film roles in the 1980s, back when Gene, quote-unquote, went Hollywood. And then uh, later on in the film, there is a um, a television evangelist uh, portrayed by Ozzy Osbourne. So very very tongue-in-cheek, let me just say. But um, this film is absolutely a fun watch. Definitely not really like a box office success, but definitely has maintained its cult following and i think it is so underground to this day that you can probably watch it for free on youtube but anyways um real gone music back in 2022 so last year had finally reissued this soundtrack on vinyl and original copies were quite pricey and hard to come by honestly any 80s metal vinyl is hard to come by so real gone music went ahead and reissued it and they pressed it on this gorgeous piece of red vinyl with like orange swirls uh definitely gives off a cool flame effect but um it's an absolutely fun listen i guess technically you could count this as a Fastway album, and I'm not really a Fastway fan. Not that I have anything against them, but I just never really delved in. Of course, I'm aware that Fastway included um, Fast Eddie Clark from Motorhead, and that was his project after he left Motorhead. And honestly, the songs on here are solid on their own. Obviously, you have the title track, Trick or Treat, uh, which is the song that Sammy Kerr uh, sings in the film. As a matter of fact, basically, all these songs um, are basically portrayed as Sammy Kerr tracks in the film so there's things such as after midnight don't stop the fight is good fun you get some brief bits like tear down the walls um obviously if you've seen the film you know exactly what i'm talking about with these tracks but um if you haven't seen the film definitely watch it it's definitely a fun viewing experience and if you like the music enough and you want to dig into some 80s metal that maybe you're not aware of Seek out the Trick or Treat soundtrack from 1986. And the next soundtrack that I'm going to be discussing is for a film that basically set the benchmark for the realm of horror films. And I am talking about, of course, 
The Exorcist, a very cutting-edge film back when it first came out in 1974 and has still held up very well across the span of five decades. And sure, in today's realm of, you know, horror films, you can go as bloody and gory as you want with some intense scenes, but there are some scenes in The Exorcist that, you know, while watching it to this day, 50 years later upon its first release, the atmosphere that some of those scenes set is so captivating and it still sends plenty of chills and i'm not even talking about you know the the scary face that appears for the split second just everything to do with that film was executed perfectly and like i said it set a benchmark for future horror films to follow now this soundtrack is pretty interesting so it does mostly consist of the um the orchestral score that's throughout the film which is mainly just a bunch of you know ominous spooky you know scattering you know orchestral you know bits and pieces like you hear you know fluttering flutes some random horn you know punches here and there but of course uh there is an excerpt um of tubular bells by mike oldfield which had existed on its own uh but was integrated into the into the film soundtrack and most people will know that you know musical sequence as the theme from the exorcist obviously it was released as a single at the time and marketed as that and it kind of propelled tubular bells into the stature that it's at right now it's one of the greatest instrumental progressive rock albums of all time Now, the pressing that I have in my collection is one put out by Waxwork Records, um, which is a fantastic label that does specialize in a lot of soundtracks, particularly of the horror type. Um, The front cover is really cool. It has uh, Linda Blair kind of almost kneeling like right in front of the demonic statue that appears in that opening scene that takes place in Iraq. Um, Gatefold opens up. There's like a cool kind of ghostly photo of her levitating off the bed. Uh, There is a great insert inside that has a brief write up from director uh, William Friedkin and the vinyl itself comes pressed on sort of like clear vinyl with black blobs and uh, what's cool is that the center label for the B side of the album has that spooky face that appears for the split second in the film um hell i mean it's funny when you look at it not in the context of the film you're just like oh that's just a spooky face but like but when you're watching it it appears for that quick second like that is one of the most primitive yet essential examples of just a brief jump scare that i think has been neutered in today's modern horror flick see personally myself i'm not big for jump scares like i'm all for suspense and thrillers and you know building up atmosphere you know you don't need to just completely come out of nowhere and jinx me off my seat but anyways i'm babbling way too much um obviously this time of year is a great time of year to uh spin the soundtrack to the exorcist Now I'm going to deviate a little from horror soundtracks and I'm going to talk about an album that I think is a great album to listen to during this autumnal fall time of year and that is The Ghost Who Walks by Karen Elson. Now Karen Elson was married to Jack White some time ago. And she had put this album out, her first, I should say, uh, on his label, Third Man Records, back in 2010. Um, The opening title track is a fantastic song. There's also some other really cool bits on here, like The Truth is in the Dirt, 100 Years from Now, Stolen Roses, 
Cruel Summer. No, not the Taylor Swift song. Um, <laughs> Mouths to Feed, um, Thief at My Door. There's just all kinds of great tracks uh, with various musicians that have played on other Third Man related releases, such as, of course, Jack White himself, um, Dean Fertitta of Queens of the Stone Age and The Dead Weather, Jack Lawrence of The Dead Weather and The Rack and Tours, uh, Olivia Jean, who um, ironically Jack would marry recently. So kind of interesting to say the least uh but it's an absolutely gorgeous album it has a very sort of baroque pop burlesque kind of influence to it and the artwork is absolutely stunning um just a very visually vibrant jacket a gateful jacket i should say with her wearing this sort of long dress in a sort of peach color with a white full moon behind her across a black background i think that's as best as i can describe it over words hopefully you can see it in your mind as i as i just explained it um, and then the back cover features um, her backing band that, that appeared in some of the music videos from the time frame. Uh, some great kind of spooky um, photos of her on the gatefold uh, with some glowing kind of peach uh, eyes. And then there's also a nice insert that opens up and has even more photographs. Um, the way that she poses, it almost has like a sort of David Bowie hunky-dory uh, type influence there. I don't know if that was the intent, but it's absolutely gorgeous looking. And there's even a track-by-track track breakdown of who exactly played on what. So if you're a Third Man fan and you like to dissect who played what on each track and where each person comes from, then it's going to be a field day. And for myself, I mean, look, I'll be fully transparent. I mainly picked this up because first off, I love the title track, but I saw it just as an intriguing piece of Third Man's history. So I kind of just bought it sort of out of impulse and upon listening to it further and further over time, it's an album that I love more and more with each listen. So if you haven't heard it, check it out for yourself next up i'm going to be talking about some bootlegs and funny enough this one that i'm going to be sharing first is one that i actually have not shown in one of my videos on my channel which if you're not aware get with the program the record spinner on youtube um i do plan on showcasing this in my next kiss bootleg haul um not exactly a full-on kiss bootleg i should say but a kiss related one and that is paul stanley's one live kiss so this is basically a soundtrack to the concert film that he had done uh during his live to win tour this is back in 2006 uh it was recorded and filmed at the house of blues in chicago illinois on november 6 2006 uh a, a fantastic concert film by any means um and the soundtrack is just as great and honestly it boils down to the track list so of course paul stanley being the front man of kiss he of course polishes off some kiss staples such as love gun detroit rock city um strutter and a few others but he even pulls out some much loved deep cuts from the kiss catalog so you have things like hide your heart uh, which he had a hand in writing which was covered by a bunch of people before kiss did their version back in 1989 for hot in the shade um he even does a track like a million to one off of the Lick It Up record, which Kiss never played live, which is fantastic to hear. Um, and he also pulls out Magic Touch from the Dynasty album, another track that Kiss never played live. Maybe attempted at some of the 90s conventions, but it is such a real treat to hear those kind of tracks. And he also pulls out some songs that are from his um, 1978 solo album, such as Wouldn't You Like to Know Me, Tonight You Belong to Me, 
Goodbye. And he also does some tracks off of his then new solo album, Live to Win, which honestly is really solid. I have a bootleg of it in my collection just because it's never been given a proper uh, official vinyl pressing. But the title track, Live to Win, is fantastic. Uh, some of you might remember it for being featured in that um episode of south park where they're playing world of warcraft um i was gonna chalk on when i hear this song just because i mentioned that and there's also another track on there called lift which is fantastic really underrated album i would say overall great mid-2000s rock record and um paul um is um backed by the backing band that appeared in the uh, tv show Rockstar. they were the house band and uh, he liked them enough to bring them out as his solo band and um they really do reinvent the material that people know and love and have familiarized themselves with so much in a great style that makes it their own, but yet delivers it with such power and attack. Uh, So it makes not just watching the concert film, but listening to it with this bootleg, um, really, really enjoyable. Um, The front cover is basically the um, the cover to the... um, to the concert film actually funny enough i should mention the audio from the show is up on streaming platforms uh but it has never been given an official like release on vinyl so i guess that's why it kind of crosses that sort of counterfeit barrier that's the more severe term i guess to use but needless to say front cover consists of that the back cover is of course the back cover of the dvd opens up with a nice gatefold uh with a track list and credits there's two printed inner sleeves uh with various photos of paul and his band which are great to see and the records themselves come pressed on red vinyl and it sounds absolutely phenomenal you could have sworn that it was as close as it gets to sounding like an official pressing because bootlegs do have do tend to have that connotation whether it's down to the source or how the lacquers are cut but it sounds absolutely fantastic and if you ever see this one out in the wild kiss fans do not sleep on it so recently the bowie camp and parlophone had released the 50th anniversary half speed master of the covers album pinups which basically served as a sort of bookend to the whole ziggy era of bowie's career and of course because of listening to that um i kind of went on a major ziggy stardust kick and it's astonishing if you kind of like take a step back and you realize the alter ego and persona that bowie went out as that made the most impact only lasted what like a year and a half two years it's literally it only lies in three albums you have the rise and fall of ziggy stardust and the spiders from mars aladdin sane and pinups and then you have two live albums from santa monica 72 and then hammersmith 73 and that is it it's astonishing and because i am a lover of all things bootlegs i got my hands here on one of my favorite david bowie bootlegs that i decided to polish off and spin for the first time in a while i think since i first got it a little over a year ago i definitely discussed it in a bootleg haul um video on on my channel but I'm going to break it all down for you guys because the content on this bootleg is phenomenal. Um, This bootleg is called The Ziggy Stardust Companion. And upon doing some research and after listening to it, I realized that the track sequence... um, is essentially the running order of the bonus disc that came with the 30th anniversary version of the Ziggy Stardust album back from 2002. 
starts off with the Arnold Corns versions of Moon Age Daydream and Hang On to Yourself. So back around like 1971, before Ziggy was even thought of, Bowie had put out a single under the alias Arnold Corns of uh, basically like loose embryonic versions of two tracks that would appear on the Ziggy album. Different lyrics, different musical arrangements, you know, total 180 from what they became. And they're just interesting to hear. Uh, Then we have uh, demo versions of Lady Stardust and Ziggy Stardust, accompanied with either acoustic guitar or piano. Very embryonic, to say the least. Uh, then there's the non-album single, uh, John I'm Only Dancing. Uh, Velvet Goldmine, uh, which was an outtake from the sessions, which I believe was released as a B-side in the mid-70s, uh, but it's from the Ziggy Sessions. Uh, then there's Holy Holy, uh, which is a re-recording of a single that Bowie had put out back in 1970 around like Man Who Sold the World era. Uh, but the Spiders uh, version is really, really solid. Uh, then there's the um, uh, Brell and Schumann cover of Amsterdam, which I think appeared as a B-side f- uh, from the pinups period, I believe. Uh, then there's a re-recording of the Superman, which is from Man Who Sold the World, cover of Chuck Berry's Round and Round. Um, there's the outtake Sweethead, take four, I should say. And there's also a new mix, um, I should say then new mix, of Moon Age Daydream, which is kind of interesting to hear. Um, the jacket has some outtakes from the album cover photo session, uh, great printed inner sleeve with photos of Bowie as the Ziggy character, along with a nice fold-out poster nice quiet black vinyl too so this is honestly like one of my favorite bootleg packages and it's just absolutely sensational now talking about this makes me want to do like my like a uh a my favorite bootlegs kind of video on my channel so just thanks to doing this episode and talking about this bootleg that i kind of sparked that idea So over the past 10 years, I have been a regular attendee of Steve Hackett shows. Now, of course, Steve Hackett is best known for being the guitarist in what can be considered the classic lineup of Genesis. And uh, he always kind of goes out under the Genesis Revisited moniker, um, mainly as a means of representing the material that he had a heavy hand in crafting and just kind of keeping that music alive as opposed to what Banks, Rutherford, and Collins have kind of done recently with their reunion tour and mainly, of course, focusing on the hits, which is understandable, but it's kind of like the Genesis fan base has like three camps. You have the early like Gabriel and early Collins crowd. Then you have the crowd that loves like Invisible Touch, We Can't Dance. And then you have those in the middle that just love everything. I'm one of those guys that love everything, but when I think of Genesis, I think of, you know, 70s Genesis, not just Peter Gabriel, but even like albums like Trick of the Tail and Wind and Wuthering and albums like that, which coincidentally Steve had a hand in crafting back when he was in the band. So in recent years, he has celebrated various albums, uh, anniversaries. Um, he went out and did seconds out in its entirety, I believe last year, same with selling England by the pounds. And this time around, when I saw him, he performed the album Foxtrot from start to finish. And of course, because of that show, I decided to pull out my copy of Genesis Foxtrot and revisit it on the turntable. Now I have to say, you know, seeing Uh, Steve live for so many years, as well as working for a Genesis tribute band called The Genesis Show, there's some Genesis songs that sometimes I can go without hearing. And as much as I hate to say it, like, because my favorite album of theirs is Selling England by the Pound, I can go without hearing I Know What I Like. I can go without hearing Further Fifth. But luckily, 
with me going to see this particular show and see Steve play Foxtrot from start to finish with his phenomenal touring band, it was just a fantastic evening and it made me really appreciate this album more in the sense that there is not one track on here that I get tired from hearing. Um, even down to the sidelong epic uh, Supper's Ready, which is probably the key track of the Gabriel years, I have heard that song so many times. I want to say maybe dozens of times. And it's one that I just... I never tire from. It is always still fresh to me. And it's funny because it's a 23-minute piece of music. But like when I listen to it, it doesn't feel like that. Maybe that's just because I'm so familiar with it. Uh, but aside from the, the second side being devoted to mainly that piece, as well as the brief um, acoustic um, Bach guitar piece, Horizons, which, of course, is a highlight in Steve's solo shows. Uh, the first side, of course, is devoted to Watcher of the Skies, which is a Genesis early staple, uh, particularly on stage when Peter uh, Gabriel would wear the um, the Batwing sort of headdress. Um when they would uh, play live, which is good fun. Even some of like a lot of the deeper cuts on there, like Timetable, Get Them Out by Friday, Can Utility and the Coastliners are just musically adventurous. They tell great stories. They're structured well, and they're just... It keeps the listener interested in terms of how the arrangements are laid out. It's just an absolutely phenomenal record. Uh, the copy that I have in my collection is one that I believe came out in 2008 or 2009. Um, it's a half-speed master of the remix that was done by Nick Davis. Uh, he had remixed the entire catalog in the mid to, uh, mid to late 2000s. Now, those remixes, you either love them or you hate them. Um, I know fans are quite divided in terms of how they sound, uh, particularly Brickwalled on CD, which I do have all those remixes in various box sets. But gladly, um, the vinyl pressing sounds a bit uncompressed and they sound slightly better. So that is the one copy that I have. And um, and with the many times that I've seen Steve, I've also opted for various meet and greets, and I've also gained access to some after show um, little invites and things. And he did actually sign my copy of Foxtrot, as well as all the albums that he was involved with with Genesis. And um, what's cool is I'm looking at it right now on uh, on Foxtrot. He actually wrote to Dylan love from Steve Hackett. Typically, he'll just sign it, just his name, and that's it. But the fact that he made it personalized means I can't sell it off only joking of course so there you guys go that is another episode of a series that i'm hosting exclusively here on vinyl community podcasts called current rotations see you guys in the next episode and most importantly keep the record spinning